Hey guys, this is Christopher Sean, aka Kazuriziono, and you are listening to Radio Dakar. Broadcasting across the galaxy, you're listening to Radio Dakar, a Star Wars podcast dedicated to Resistance, The Mandalorian, and more. All right, hello everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of Radio Dakar. I'm your host, Doug Brooks, and I've got Little Han with me. Hey. 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 And we've got our studio audience with us today. So uh, we are reviewing The Mandalorian, Chapter 3, The Sin. So, Little Han. It's the sun. What? The sun. No, the sin. No. I can sound like an A sometimes. No, you sound. The sand? <laughs> Uh. <laughs> the sun. <laughs> well, it was called the sin. No, it's called. We still don't have a title for the first episode, but that's okay. So we'll what? Call it, you, you, the battle. Remember? Yeah. Yeah. Battle. So, yeah. So, what did you think of uh, uh, chapter three? Chapter three was pretty good. Yeah. What'd you like best about it? I liked Roger's floating in space right now. Your Lego Roger is floating in space. Yeah. yeah. So, what about the episode? Tell me that though. Well, that was good. What was good? So, when um, the Mandalorian flew with the baby. Well, in the, in the ship? Yeah. Yeah, it would have been cool if he had a jetpack and he flew with the baby, but that didn't happen. So Maybe, maybe later. Do you have my iPhone? He oh, did. Gosh. Oh wow, he did have your iPhone. So, um, so you like the Mandalorians fighting at the end? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. What, <laughs> what else did you like, kiddo? Well, I liked that you have an action Mandalorian figure, and make sure there is a. If you have a child, there is a. Action figure Mandalorian thing about the size of action figure resistance cast or whoever. Oh yeah, we we were talking about that because I've been getting some of the six inch Mandalorian figures, but next year I think they're going to do the uh, vintage collection. So we'll get you uh, the Mandalorian and we'll get you um, Cara Dune, who you haven't seen on the show yet. Wee wee wee. And I don't know about little porgs, but. Um, Let's see, and there's going to be a Stormtrooper, and hopefully some more characters. But yeah, we'll find those as soon as they come out. So I was going to ask you, you know those scenes like when he was getting his armor made, and they showed um, that battle with um, that kid getting put in the, um, like the hideaway? Yeah. What what do you think that was? I thought, well, first I thought the Mandalorian was going to fight that kid. Because it was called the sun. <laughs> well, I, I could sound like a thing sometimes. What? Okay, so you th- thought um, maybe that was the Mandalorian finding that kid? <laughs> well, what if the Mandalorian was that kid? And that was a long time ago. Ooh. But how did he escape? Well, that's what we don't know yet. Because remember when the hideaway got opened up, the super battle droid was there about to blast him um you know maybe maybe we're going to find out who who rescued him and brought him to the mandalorians and that's why he grew up that way what do you think i think it's cool well i don't know if a porg found him um see i'm thinking maybe um like a mandalorian we met on rebels or the clone wars found him like Bo-Katan or Fen Rao or somebody. Um, but what if it was a Jedi? A Jedi found him? Yeah, what if What if it was a Jedi we already know? Like Ezra or Anakin or Obi-Wan or Yoda? Could be any of them. Uh, yeah, it wasn't you, silly. It could, have, could be any of them, yeah. Well, I think that's a... Yeah, I think we're going to... 
I bet by the end of the season we find out who rescued him. And what if it was like Obi Wan or Anakin or Ahsoka or Yoda? I think you you had some good ideas there. I don't think it was Roger though. <laughs> yeah. Diaper. Diaper. Uh oh. Do we need to make a diaper break? I'll just keep doing it. Just keep, keep doing it. Okay. Um, so, yeah. So, that, we'll see what happens with uh, that. The, you know what those are called when they show scenes from a long time ago? Television. Flashback. Oh, yeah. Flashback. Yeah. So, I think those are flashbacks to the Clone Wars because, you know, you see the Super Battle Droid and you see the droid ship. Um, I think that when that's when, yeah, I think that's when he was a kid. Super um, Battle Droid? Yeah. Uh, is this a super battle droid? With the no, Roger was just a regular battle droid. Those B1? were, yeah, those were B ones, and the super battle droids were B twos. So we saw with we've seen a oh, B. Was it BX purple? The purple battle droids? No, but no, but these were the B two battle droids that we've seen on the Mandalorian so far, and I think that's pretty cool. Because I, I, I never. I have B two Infinity. Yeah, you do have B twos in Infinity, um, but I never thought we'd see it on a Star Wars TV show. I think that's you pretty cool. What? Beginning of I or I I I or I I. Remember when they were in that little shuttle and those little rolly thing droids mm-hmm. came? Yeah. I have to unlock that still. Oh yeah, we do need to get you this one. We gotta get like up the. F- the destroyer droids, yeah. Yeah. The, what destroyer droids? That's what they're called. The rollies. Yeah, they're. Um, rollies. Well. <laughs> Uh, so, okay, what what else happened in the episode that you want to talk about? Um, I want to talk about... So the... Can I talk about, um, pilgrims? About pilgrims? <laughs> um... No! Well, it is, thanks, no! it is Thanksgiving week, and if you want to say anything about pilgrims, that's fine. Well, in the 1960s, they didn't eat what they eat now. They didn't what they eat? Yeah, they ate deer, goose... Ducks, in the 1960s. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That is fascinating. I bet people are going to be interested to know that. Yep. So thank you for that info. <laughs> so well, I think that's a pretty good, pretty good way to start the Mandalorian discussion this week. So anything else you want to say about the episode? May the force be with you. May the force be with you. Squeaky squeaky. <laughs> yes. May the force be with all your friends. So moving on to the episode itself, uh, I've got to mention, uh, written once again by John Favreau, and still not sure if he wrote the entire series or just like the first three or four episodes, but we'll see, and uh, directed by Deborah Chow, who we will be talking a lot about, uh, because she has done an amazing job so far. Uh, she also did episode, or chapter seven, so we'll find out about that uh, when it happens, um, and I mean, it, it's easy to see already why she was selected to direct the entire Obi-Wan uh, series on Disney Plus coming up. Uh, what she did in this episode with the performances and um, the shot selection. Well, I mean, I don't know everything a director exactly does, but it seems like all the, all the choices that it seems that she would have been in charge of uh, that were made are just incredible. So I am, and she's the first woman to direct a live action Star Wars. Bryce Dallas Howard directed this upcoming episode. So they're, you know, they, they both had their hand, hand in this uh, season's work, but she, uh, her episode aired first. So uh, she gets the, the recognition for that. Um, you know, I wish it had happened before now because, she, I mean, she, she is amazing and, you know, I remembered her from um, at least one episode of Better Call Saul. So uh, she does amazing work, and so glad she's involved with Star Wars. But um, you know, kind of like last week's episode, uh, this one takes place on just the one planet, which doesn't have a name yet. Um, uh, I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know what to call it really. Like the just the bounty hunter planet where they have that little enclave or town and so we get the shot of the razor crest coming out, coming out of light speed and you know the 
Now we haven't had too many space shots in the series so far, but I really liked the shot of the Razor Crest approaching the planet. Uh, you get a better look at the uh, landscape. I uh, got hints of uh, like volcanic activity, which we haven't seen from the one location. Uh, but that looked really beautiful. And um, uh, we get more of Tiny. Remember, this is not Yoda. Uh, copyright, uh, Lacey Gilleran. Uh, until they have a name, I think I like Tiny. Um, uh, he's, uh, you know, they continue with his point of view from the crib uh, while it lasts. Uh, we see, you know, from his perspective as they're flying in, of course he hops out and uh, does the thing with the uh, gear shift knob where he twists it off. I mean, it's it's amazing that this is a puppet. Um, I mean, what they're doing with the character so far is uh, just beyond anything we expected for this show. And, I mean, I'll, I'll mention it a little bit later, but the whole thing with uh, him taking the cap off the knob for the gear shift, and then uh, the Mandalorian having to put it back on, and then him giving it to him willingly at the end of the episode. I've got to think that is a direct homage to uh, American Graffiti and to George Lucas. Um, I mean, if you haven't seen that movie, why not? It's it's a, it's a great movie, um, and it's George Lucas. Um, if, if by chance you haven't seen it, it's a, it's you know forty five year old movie. Uh, there's a couple of the characters, um, uh, John, who drives the, um, 36 Ford in the movie, the yellow one, um, he is driving around a girl named Carol, and the and she does the same thing, she plays with the, um, the knob off the gear shift, and, uh, he's like, oh, put that back, um. And then at the end of the movie, he uh, gives it to her as a gift. So I have got to think where, that's where they got the idea. And it was really, really sweet all the way through. Um, but, you know, I appreciated the... Uh, what, what I think is the homage. Um, you know, I liked the uh, holographic transmission from uh, Grief Cargo, so we get to see how... Uh, the hollow projector on the Razor Crest works. So, you know, we're back at the Bounty Hunter Enclave, uh, whatever. Man, I hope they name the, start naming the locations because it's kind of a little, little frustrating. Um, so, you know, a lot of the shots are similar to what we got in the first episode where he uh, was there originally. Um, but, you know, it's a little different because this time we get Tiny's point of view uh, when he gets to the door and the door greeter robot is there. Um, and the stormtroopers come out. And already, and this is where the puppetry was amazing, already you can see the concern uh, that Tiny has that he knows something's up. And just that little hint of the Mandalorian being concerned uh, when one stormtrooper is being rough with the the crib, and he's like, uh, "Be you know, be careful with that." You know, it's the little little things that are hints of what to come. Uh, we get more of the client uh, by Werner Herzog and Doctor Pershing, um, played by um, Omid Abtahi. Um, you know, I didn't talk enough about him on the first episode. He, what limited time he had here was really amazing and I'll get to more of that but you know they seem you know once their asset has been acquired you know their their demeanor is so different than the first episode yeah, the fact that you know it's actually been acquired and I do hope we find out you know how he got into the hands of the Nictos and that gang uh, from which he had to be rescued in the first episode um yeah, and then, you know, it's a question I asked in both episode reviews uh, because of IG-11 and the uh, Trandoshans. Uh, you know, the Mandalorian just flat out asked how many fobs were given out. 
turns out a lot because you know they just wanted to get get their asset. Um, so you know, Tiny's taken away, and he's not happy about it. He's heartbreaking look back like well not where are they taking me you know um so then we get the, the really cool touch where it turns out that uh cantono cantano either way um that a container of beskar is the ice cream machine thing that will Hood had in the empire strikes back that that's actually a almost like a portable safe or just a, you know, you know, fancy container. So that's, yeah, they, they worked the ice cream machine into the episode. Um, but yeah, so that's, it's full of Beskar. And, um, you know, here's where we, you know, you can interpret the title of the episode a few different ways. You know, this is the sin, his betrayal of the bounty under code is the sin, the betrayer of betrayal of, you know, the ideals of the Mandalorians. But, you know, he goes against guilt code right here by asking, you know, what, what they plan to do with Tiny. And... You know, in some ways, it's you know too bad we only saw one other hunt for him so far this in the series. You know, because that was well, it's okay, buddy. The studio audience is trying to settle down for the night. Um, yeah, obviously with the um, Horatio Sands character, you know, there is no questions asked. He just turned in his bounty. Um, but, you know, he went through a lot to get Tiny and, you know, what they went through together. Um, you know, it changed him. And so for him to go against the code and start asking questions, you know, you, you can see hints of what he would do later for him. And, you know, the, the client makes the comment, you know, it's harder to find a Mandalorian than it is the steel nowadays. And then immediately we're in the um, the Mandalorian hideout, the next scene, and we get that fleshed out a little bit. You know, in the first episode, we got, you know, you thought, okay, this is just, uh, maybe there's just a group of Mandalorians living on this planet, and they're, they're free to go out and about, but no, I mean, like, they're secretly there, and that wasn't explicitly said in the first episode, so that's really interesting. And, I mean, the scene with the armor and the other Mandalorians, um, you know, we just find out a lot about their situation now. You know, they... So they talk about the Great Purge and how, you know, the Empire shattered their world and, you know, they're in hiding and they can only come out one at a time because of what happened. So, you know, it makes me wonder, is the Great Purge their name for Operation Cinder? Which... You know, Operation Cinder is, um, I mean, it's mostly in um, the Battlefront 2 game, uh, if you ever played it, and uh, the uh, Aftermath books and Shattered Empire comic series and uh, Alphabet Squadron. You know, it's the Emperor's contingency plan where certain key planets whether, you know, that held important assets to the Empire or maybe went against them, were to be, you know, scourged and, and eliminated after uh, the death of the Emperor. It was, you know, kind of like, if I don't survive, nobody will survive. 
Uh, that's the brief on it, if, if you're not familiar with it. And so we saw a certain, uh, like in the Battlefront 2 game, um, uh, the planet Vardos is uh, subjected to uh, the devastation of Operation Cinder. Uh, Naboo is attempted. Um, and there's a battle there. It makes me wonder, is Mandalore one of the Operation Cinder planets? And that enough Mandalorians were killed to s scatter the culture. But they call it the Great Purge. I wonder if that's where that came from. I get the impression that we're going to keep finding out more and more about this, considering, you know, all this information was teased in the first episode, and we get more details about it in this one. Um, so they talk about the Great Purge. And this is brought up by the Heavy Infantry Mandalorian, who, of course, we see later. And, I mean, it's pretty obvious uh, to those of us who watch The Clone Wars, uh, he was voiced by Jon Favreau, the writer, creator. And he sounded a lot like his character from The Clone Wars pre-Vizsla, um, who, spoiler alert, is no longer with us. So, you know, I thought, wait a minute, it can't be him. And then, um, even though it's not explicitly said in the credits, he is listed as Paz Vizsla, uh, but Vizsla spelled different. So, makes you wonder if uh, he is a descendant of uh, that clan and how that will tie in. I'll, I'll have some speculation on that later. Uh, but, you know, Paz Vizsla is the one bringing up, you know, when the Empire did and the Great Purge. Um, but the armor is, you know, kind of the, kind of the leader here and she's, um, trying to calm everybody down. Um, even though, I don't know if it's jealousy or anger over a perceived sellout, you know, that Mandalorian walks in with all the Beskar, you know, she offers him, um, a signet of the Mudhorn because he defeated it, but he refuses out of um, honor. You know, says it wasn't it wasn't an honorable kill. Um, so she suggests the whistling birds, uh, which, as it turns out, is a really cool weapon over his gauntlet. And they and they bring up the foundlings again. Uh, we've had that before. Uh, that the foundlings are the future. And that, yeah, you know, I'm sure that's going to be touched on more as maybe Tiny will be be a foundling. You know, if the Mandalorians were exterminated to this point to to perpetuate their culture, you know, they would have to incorporate outsiders. You know, at at young age, which is starting. <laughs> to become a, an interesting recurring theme in Star Wars. You know, the Jedi search out Force-sensitive children at a young age and take them back to the temple. The First Order um, found young children, took them away from their families, and made them stormtroopers. But it, seem, and it seems like the Mandalorians do that. You know, they find youngsters and bring them into their culture, but it seems more like a of a rescue thing than actively going out and finding them, perhaps. Um, so now that we, much like episode one, we get another um, armor blacksmithing uh, montage that... Um, we get it tied into um, what we what, what it, I mean. We got to think our flashbacks to, um, and I talked about it with Lohan. Flashbacks to when the Mandalorian was a child, and his family was attacked during the Clone Wars. Yeah, I mean that's that's got to be what that was. That's got to be him. And um, I think Anthony Bresnik can point it out. Are his 
he and his family wearing Life Day robes like Chewie did in the holiday special, uh, which I mean, which means they were attacked on a like a holy day or you know the most celebrated day of the year, which is would be kind of effed up. Um, now the flashback itself, you know, and this is where. Uh, whether or not you like you, you like Ludwig Göransson's um, soundtrack, I know some people don't necessarily like it because of how different it is. You know, I, I'm really enjoying it, and I, I really loved it in this particular scene. Um, and like when when the child is placed into the hideaway spot. It almost sounds like the Klingon theme from the Star Trek movies, um, particularly the one written by Jerry Goldsmith. Um, it was the first, the fifth. I can't remember if it was Star Trek three, but definitely the first and the fifth movie had this theme, and then there were hints of it in um, uh, the first Contact, one of the next gen movies. Um, which, uh, if that's where they, he got the influence, it seems appropriate because it's warrior cultures and all that. Um, so, yeah, just really, really love the music in the flashback tie into the armoring uh, montage. So, you know, as, as I talked to little Han, you know, the speculation is now on. You know, okay, we see the super battle droid about to kill the child. You know, we're going to find out that, obviously, that uh, droid was destroyed or d- beaten, and then he's rescued. My my first thought was the simplest one, where, you know, he was probably rescued by Mandalorians and then taken back to one of their um, civilizations and raised as a Mandalorian. You know, so this is where, this is where we could get a... You know, like an Ursa Ren or a Bo-Katan or a Fen Rao cameo. But then people are starting. I think Jordan Mason brought it up from, from Cinelinks. And um, James Bainey mentioned it on Resistance Broadcast this week. Was he rescued by a Jedi? And this is why a Jedi with ties to Mandalore. And so he was rescued, taken there. Uh, to live with them and this explains why he's you know takes sympathy with a force user these many years later and you know I'm really liking that that idea and you know so the question is who you know who would have rescued him and this is a chance for a cameo um you know, James Bainey explicitly said he thinks it would be Yoda, and that that's your connection. That yeah, and all you gotta do is just throw in a CG Yoda from you know the like Attack of the Clones, Revenge of the Sith style, and you know for the Mandalorian these years later to rescue you know to rescue some someone of his own species. That's why he has that emotional connection. I thought fair enough. But then, and who would make the most sense but Obi-Wan? Because, you know, because of his attachment to Satine and his relationship with the Mandalorians, you know, he would be the easiest to rescue the child and take him directly there. Could also be Anakin or Ahsoka, uh, because, you know, they have connections because of Obi-Wan, and they, they had their own adventures on Mandalore in the series. So... Let me know what you think. If he's rescued by a Jedi, who is it? Is it Yoda, Obi-Wan, Anakin, or Ahsoka? And do we get the subsequent cameo? You know, is this the reason they went ahead and announced Ewan doing the Obi-Wan series? Because they knew he, you know, we have to announce it now because he's going to be on the show in a cameo by the end of the year, so the secret's going to be out. Or was it a secret Hayden Christensen or Ashley Eckstein cameo, just for one shot? 
and then put them in their, you know, Clone Wars series attire. Um, yeah, I'm going to put a poll up, and I'll read the results on the Chapter 4 review. You know, if he's rescued by a Jedi, who was it? So, yeah. Uh, you know, Lil Han chimed in. I'd like to know what you think, too. Um, so moving on from that. Um, man, I don't write well at good notes, so when I'm in a hurry. Um, okay, so, you know, he's armored up. Uh, he's got his upgrade. Um, which means more, you know, more action figures. You know, when it hadn't opened my uh, six-inch black series in the carbonized version because, you know, it's just based on what he looked like in the first episode, you know, uh, surely there's going to be a, you know, figures where he's fully, you know, in his new Beskar and comes with a little, um, little baby Yoda, little tiny. Um, so, you know, when he gets to grief, you know, um, you know, I agree, you know, and Carl Weathers did just did a great episode, a great job in this episode and this scene and later on. You know, Grief Karga is making such a big deal about, uh, you know, oh, the Mando's the one who did it. And, you know, he and he asked him about the tracking fobs, too, and he says, everyone had one, but you brought him in. So, yeah, whereas he was so, you know, calm and calculated in the first episode, here he is being very boisterous about everything, and it was, um, you know, quite the change. Of course, I mean, he's happy because, as he points out, that, um, you know, he, he got his share of it, so he's got his own best car, which comes into play later. Of course, the, um, you know, Mando just wants his, wants another job so he can get out of there. And then, you know, we get the, oh, this is also where we get the first mention of the New Republic, you know. They hadn't mentioned it at all in the first two episodes, and you know, even at this point, they, you know, five years after Endor and four years after the Galactic Concordance, they, you know, still consider the new government a joke, which you know comes into play in uh, you know the sequel trilogy. And so, you know, as Mandalorian's about, uh, powering up the ship and about to leave, that's when. You know, we get that. This is where the direction is amazing. You know, all they do is pan into a helmeted face. You don't see any emotions, but you can see what he's thinking. And that, I mean, that's art right there. That all you have to do is just stay on his helmet and, you know, what he's contemplating uh, before you, you know, because he saw the, the gear shift knob again and decides to go uh, rescue his boy. Yeah, that's, you know, that's emotional, effective storytelling through direction. And all I had to do was just zoom in on his helmet. Um, so, you know, he does, he does his thinking around. He sees the crib has already been discarded in the trash. And this is where he, he turns into Batman, and it's pretty cool. You know, it, it reminded me so much of, you know, like in The Dark Knight. Um... And yes, I do appreciate that, you know, his rifle weapon, which, you know, I have, you know, can disintegrate, can shock people. I mean, he literally uses a tuning fork to get an, uh, to tap into an audio signal, which was pretty cool. And he also has like, um, you know, heat signature, infrared. Yeah, that's a pretty handy rifle. But, you know, that's technology that Batman would use to, to spy on somebody. Uh, so we get a bit of the conversation between uh, the client and Dr. Pershing. Um, you know, it, it hints at, you know, who are they working for? You know, we'll have to find that out. And then, like, you know, like in the, in the shot next when he, you know, knocks on the door and the, you know, the uh, doorbell robot comes out and he breaks it and then walks off. Uh, so the stormtroopers will come out. I mean, that's that's another 
that's a pure Batman shot right there. I thought that was really cool. And then when he even when he sets the uh, uh, the detonator to to blow the door open. Yeah, I mean that's straight out of the Dark Knight. I thought that was really cool. And I mean, then we just get the amazing hunt, so to say, with you know he's he's trying to sneak around the compound and take out the stormtroopers. You know, really dig the uh, like the flashlight, the headlamps they have on the rifles. You know, they've made good use of lighting on the series so far. Like when he had the uh, the little light on his helmet, so he could go in the cave in the last episode. Um, yeah, yeah, the Deborah Chow's direction in this was—I mean, it was tense. It was scary. You know, from the other perspective. Whereas last week was scary, you know, when he's trying to hunt a big creature, you know, here, you know, he's being hunted. And it goes back to what the armor said, you know, they're both the hunter and the prey. So, you know, stormtroopers are after him, but he's trying to take them out at the same time. And, and just tr- tremendous, like, floor-level shots of the dead stormtroopers from various means. Um, he is so resourceful with his uh, his armor, especially now that he's powered up. And then you know he, uh, we do get a cameo from a uh, from one of the um, torture ball droids that we saw in A New Hope. Um, one of those is a big deal in Alphabet Squadron. If you haven't read it, um, that's interesting. You know, this is where um, Obed. Uh, Abtahi did a great job. You know, he, he's a little cowardly, but, you know, all he cares about is, you know, you know, not hurting Tiny. You know, calls it calls it he, so if that's into the gender. I mean, he, he generally, you know, he generally cares for him, so. But, you know, the client was talking about uh, just get the necessary material from him. Are they talking about midichlorians? We don't know yet. You know, do are they taking a blood sample for cloning? Just so many questions about what they need him for. But yeah, uh, the doctor. I mean, yeah, he was scared for his own life, but he just wanted to protect, protect the kid at that point. So, hopefully, that's not the last we'll see of him. You know, we got to find out like what what they really had in mind for him. And um, I, mean, I got to you know got to mention the shot of you know after he uses the flamethrower like a burnt out stormtrooper. We have not seen that before. That was pretty crazy. I got to see Whistling Bird in action. Like like I say, I mean his you know gauntlets and all his armor now are just totally badass. And again, uh, you know we kind of mentioned it before on another episode. If you're not familiar with it, Mandalorian armor and their weapons and their design, it, they were created so that they could battle the Jedi because they have gone to war with each other in you know centuries past. So, you know, to see that in action and see how effectively he uses everything is pretty cool. So, you know, he makes it out with Tiny trying to get back to the ship and then we get that really cool shot where all the tracking fobs at the at the bar start to go off together i i've been told that's a john wick reference but i i admittedly have not seen those movies um but it was still pretty cool um oh i and i did like it and i mentioned this on last week's star wars resistance review too because they did the same thing you know, he goes into the compound to rescue Tiny, and it's daylight. And he may, and when he comes back out, it's uh, dusk, or getting dark, which is a very easy but effective way to show you that a, a decent amount of time passed. You know, while he was inside, uh, doing all this, and resistance, they did it um, when they went into um, a Jedi, an old Jedi temple and a Sith temple. You know, it's it's a good way to show passage of time without, you know, like, you know, putting it in your face. You know, 
walked in with it when it was daylight, and a few hours later, it's dark when they come out. So, not a nice little thing. They, I mean, the, they have not skimped on the little details on the show so far, so I, I like that. And, um, I mean, here, here's another point where the music was great because, you know, that it helped build the tension as, you know, more people join in on the, the hunt. Um, you know, and he, the Mandalorian can feel it as, as he's walking the street that, you know, they're, they're about to gang up on him and they're watching him. Um, you know, it all comes to a head when he's trying to make it out of town, but there's Grief Cargo. Yeah, I wouldn't say that he, you know, turned bad all of a sudden. I think this was just who he was. And, you know, he's about the the bounties and the money and everything, too. So he's just protecting his interest. You know, it's not like he... Yeah, there was nothing in the first episode to say he wasn't like this. Uh, so I wouldn't call it a swerve. It's, but still, it's, you know, it's slow development of who he is. And, and of course, Carl's, Carl Weathers just so awesome in this scene anyway. Um, so the, and then it becomes another cowboy fight in, in the town. Um, but this, you know, they're all, all firing at him, and it, it's in many, many ways it's like the uh, the town fight at the end of the chapter one, but it's different enough to where it doesn't feel like they're redoing it. You know, that had a different objective. He was trying to get to Tiny, uh, even though he didn't know who, you know, what he, what his objective was. You know, he had help uh, with IG eleven. Um. You know, the motivations of the people attacking him were different. You know, this time it's escape. Um, he's really on his own as far as he knows. I, I, I do love how he uses the um, the droid-operated uh, speeder to try to get out of there, at least provide cover. You know, it's almost like horse-drawn carriage um, in a Western. So that theme's still there, even though it's, um, you know, Star Wars technology. And, um, you know, it's, it's a great scene for different uh, species cameos. Uh, we get the yellow Rodian that we saw in uh, Rogue One, you know, that variation. Uh, we got a, there was a Zabrak, like Maul's species. Um, and we get to see him use the uh, disintegrating feature on his gun again. Um, so then, you know, he's pinned down, and again, you know, you get the emotion in a helmeted face, and then, you know, Tiny's there, and then the look the puppet gives, and, and then, okay, so we get to the best part. You know, the, the shot where the Mandalorian's looking down and the rocket goes behind him was great enough, but, you know, just before that, when Tiny's looking at him, it... To me, it looked like Tiny was looking at the rocket because he saw it coming first, um, or at least saw the the Mandalorian. You know, felt the Mandalorians start to approach because you know your first thought was, okay, you know, he we know he can use the force, so maybe he'll do like a gigantic concussive force push and get everybody out of the way so they can make a run for it. You know, I did not see it coming that the Mandalorians were going to show up and provide him an escape. Um, but you know, when the rocket goes in, I'm thinking, well, is it them? But then we get the shot where they all, they're on the jetpacks and they rise up above and start firing on the bounty hunters. And I, I'm pretty, I was, you know, the first time I saw the episode, I was, um, just watching it on my phone when, with the volume down because everybody was still sleeping. And I I whispered some expletives because I could not believe how awesome that was that we got we 
got that in live action, finally. I mean, we've seen it in Clone Wars. We saw it in Rebels. But it was only three episodes in, too. I thought if we got the Mandalorians in force like this, that it, it, that was going to be like the surprise of the season. You know, I, I really thought that was... Like the whole first season was going to be him as like this lone Mandalorian. And we don't know, you know, what happened to all the other ones. Then at the end of the season, he meets up with some more and they're like, you're not alone. So, you know, I mean, that was busted in the first episode because we know that, you know, there's this, you know, um, oh, what did he call it? Um, I wrote it down, but I cannot find it in the notes. Um, anyway, you know, so we have a little society of the Mandalorians on this planet. So turns out that that was them in hiding. Um, but for them to, you know, make themselves known and to just fully attack something I was not expecting this early in the series and it is so awesome I had to see them in full action like that like they're supposed to be uh, yeah I I got tears of joy watching that uh, the first time it's just so amazing um, so you know they provide the cover and we get a repeat of their their mantra this is the way which, you know, between this is the way and I have spoken, there's some good, you know, memorable lines on this uh, series so far. And, um, and again, Carl Weathers, I mean, you know, when grief realizes that they're outgunned, he just gives that, you know, look of acknowledgement and that's when he, you know, weasels his way out of there. You know, turns out he just runs to the Razor Crest to try to try to stop the Mandalorian, and they have their standoff. Good use of the uh, uh, carbon gas, and you know they've talked in the uh, like the producers have talked about that they expanded Carl's role because they liked um, how he was playing grief cargo so much. Makes me wonder if he was supposed to die in that scene when he was shot, but then they changed it to where he had the best car. Because um, they could have easily dropped that um, foreshadowing in earlier, um, where he had it in his in his breast pocket, and uh, that's got to be a reference to you know like fistful of dollars, Back to the Future three, uh, with you know wearing a you know bulletproof vest, accidental or not. So yeah, grief listified another day. Um, and also the shot where the Razor Crest is taking off and it's flying over the town and you see the firefight still going on with Mandalorians and Flight and the, all the bounty hunters. I just cannot believe we've got that in a live-action Star Wars. I mean, that, that was... As much as, as much as that final shot of the first chapter was with the Mandalorian and reaching into the crib and then Tiny's hand coming up, to me, this was better. Uh, because it's something we had, you know, truly fantasized about it, but we actually got on the screen, and it was incredible. Um, and then, you know, the nice shot where, um, I guess that was Paz Vizsla, uh flew up uh, to salute um, the Mandalorian as he makes his way off, and then he makes reference. <laughs> he says, I got to get... Uh, one of those referring to the jetpacks, which that will be awesome if he gets a jetpack by the end of the season. Um, and then it pays off the uh, the gear shift knob where he gives it back to Tiny so he can play with it and makes his escape. Uh, so before I wrap up, you know, now that the Mandalorians are exposed, he says they got to find a new... Wrote that, I wrote what he said down, but I can't find it in the notes, but that's okay. Oh, a new covert. That was it. Um, you know, are they going to have to go off planet, you know, find a new home? So, 
you know, how soon will we see this group again of, of the Mandalorians and the armor and, um, you know, will we follow their journey a little bit maybe, uh, to find a, a new covert, new home? Is this where, um, uh, we meet up with some familiar characters? I, I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking, so this is chapter three. We, by chapter eight, I could see where maybe they contact him to let him know they've uh, found a safe haven. And then with all the talk this episode about, you know, I've never taken his helmet off, never had it removed by someone. You know, that's um, an important thing for this sect of the Mandalorians. But, you know, with Sabine Wren and other characters we met, to take their helmet off amongst each other is not always a big deal. So, you know, speculation time. Chapter 8, he he's told, hey, we, we have made a new covert on this planet. Come, come see us. Maybe this is where Tiny joins as a... Uh, as a foundling and gets his little armor, which would be just be insanely cute. Um, you know, but does he meet up with them and then we see other Mandalorians who are already there and the helmets come off and it's Katie Sackhoff as Bo-Katan and Kevin McKidd as Finn Rao. Well, you know, I thought maybe this would be an opportunity for um, Ming-Na Wen to play Ursa Ren, but she's playing another character. You know, they take their helmets off and say, yeah, you're among, you know, family. You can take yours off, and that's when we finally get to see Pedro Pascal. Um, yeah, I my guess is that's where it's leading. Something like that. Uh, so we'll see. That was just speculation on my part. But this was a great episode. I cannot stress it enough. I mean, this... If you take the first three episodes as an arc, you can make the argument as a top five Star Wars movie. It was that good. And like I say, Deborah Chow did just such an amazing job with this episode. Uh, I mean, taking helmeted characters and a puppet and creating this much emotion... And just stunning visual storytelling. So amazing. Can't wait to see more of her work with Star Wars. Um, but yeah, we'll be back next week uh, to talk about um, Chapter 4. And um, yeah, we'll talk more about the um, and the flashbacks. I'll, I'll put that poll up and see what everybody thinks. Um, but I ho- hope you enjoyed listening to this review. I'll have a new Star Wars Resistance review coming up in a couple of days. Uh, You can find all the episodes on um, Anchor.fm or the Anchor app, uh, also on SoundCloud, Overcast, um, Spotify, Google Play, um, Apple Podcasts. Uh, We are on social media, at Radio Dakar, on Instagram and Twitter. I will put that poll up on our Twitter account, um, R-A-D-I-O-D-Q-A-R. Uh, you can become a patron of the show at patreon.com slash radio Um But again, thank you for listening and uh, look forward to your input. And we'll be back next week with another review of The Mandalorian. Until then, may the force be with you.